you'd open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2 as we continue through the book of Timothy. Paul has told Pastor Timothy he needs to correct false teaching. That was chapter 1. And now he begins to tell his people, the people of God in every church, how they should worship. Apparently, Timothy needed to be encouraged in this as well. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, the inspired word of God. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Would you please be seated? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as children to a father, recognizing that prayer is often difficult. We pray that you would use these scriptures to encourage our hearts, to change us and change our habits that we would truly be people of God, a people who pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Some very helpful uh, words from these books are downstairs, of course, on all kinds of topics. This is a topic of prayer. Prayer is simply conversing with God. The privilege of a restored, reconciled, relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. It's the voice of a child to a father, of a subject to the king. The golden scepter of access is extended to us through Christ, welcoming us into the very throne room of grace. But prayer is more than a privilege. It comes to us also as a responsibility, something commanded by God, a requirement of discipleship. Typically, we think small in our prayers, or we think parochially praying about things just related to us and our own concerns, but prayer involves so much more. Prayer is the divinely appointed means through which we commune with the living God and advance His kingdom. If you'll remember the very first time I preached regularly here, we went through the Lord's Prayer for about eight weeks. We talked about prayer and the Lord's Prayer because I knew that if I were going to be anything like I wanted to be as a pastor, and if you were going to be anything like you want to be as God's people, we needed to pray. We all needed to pray. The text says, first of all, Then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. First of all, the very first thing he wants the church to know. He's finished correcting Timothy. He's finished correcting the false teachers. And now he says, first thing you need to know. Pray. Pray for all people. The first thing you need to do is start praying. Supplications, what are they? That's pleading to God for a specific need. 
You have a supplication for something particular. Prayers is the second word he uses for these prayers, and that's just a common word for prayer in general, isn't it? Intercessions, what are those? Those are praying on someone else's behalf, in someone's stead. And then thanksgiving is probably just kind of a context for all of our communications with God. It's a privilege to come into the throne room. I'm reading Esther in my private devotions, and you remember Esther was the queen, and she was afraid to come into the presence of King Darius, her husband, for fear that if he did not extend the golden scepter, then she would be killed. No one could come into his presence apart from his invitation. God has opened the invitation for us to his throne room, and the means by which we do that is prayer. So these four different words for prayer aren't really meant probably to be particularized in some special way. Paul's point is just in the emphasis of repeating these words over and over again is to pray. He says pray, 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 and pray. No matter what else you do, first of all, church, pray. It is a command throughout Scripture that God's people pray. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. You think, well, that's a pretty high standard. Yes. Jesus, when He was on the earth, seemed to example for us exactly what this looks like. In Hebrews 5, we read... Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus, the busiest of all men who have ever lived, probably. Luke 5 says he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Often. Luke 6.12 says all night he continued in prayer to God. So it's no wonder that Paul tells the church, if you're going to succeed in this Christianity thing, you need to pray. J.C. Rao gives some helpful reasons why Paul would emphasize prayer so much. Seven reasons why he thinks Paul indicates we should pray. And I agree with him. First, he says, no man can expect to be saved who does not pray. He writes, prayer is the most important subject in practical religion. All other subjects are second to it. Reading the Bible, keeping the Sabbath, hearing sermons, attending public worship, going to the Lord's table, all these are very weighty matters, but none of them are so important as private prayer. No man can expect to be saved who does not pray. To be prayerless is to be without God. Why is Dr. Rao so bold as to make this claim? Well, first of all, because it's entirely biblical. But more importantly, to know God and to be known by God is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. We don't serve a God who just doesn't care for people. We don't serve an idol in a room somewhere who's dead 
who demands worship and subservience just as a matter of course, robotically demanding our subservience. No, we serve a relational God, a person. Three persons in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus saves you, it's a personal thing, isn't it? You that are saved in this room, you know that. You know that God has personally put something new in you that you can't work up on your own. He's personally come to you in a relational way. And it's always been about the heart, and it's always been about relationship. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you come to God, you come as one person to a divine person. About heart worship, it's always been there. This is God. The fundamental difference with Christianity and every other religion is that we serve a relational God, a personal God. Yes, He's holy. He's beyond anything that we could ever hope to be. We can understand only a fraction of what He's like, and that's what's revealed in His Word. He's far beyond us. And yet, the same God the person of Jesus has made us His friend. He's created the universe. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. And He calls us to relationship with Himself. The result of His love applied to your heart by the Holy Spirit is a desire to love Him back. To want to know Him. And want to please Him. And for this reason, Ryle says... If you have a prayerless life, obviously you have not been changed. But the second reason why Paul emphasizes prayer, according to Ryle, is it's one of the surest marks of Christianity. Just as a lack of prayer is probably the clearest indication that you are not His, regular prayer is something that is not natural to any human being. So if you are praying you can be very confident that He has changed you in an amazing way. Your desire to commune with your Savior in regular prayer is something that you cannot muster up. So if you have this desire, praise God for that. From the moment the Holy Spirit life comes into any man, they pray. Think of all the people in Scripture who serve God. They're people of prayer. Think of all the people through history who you know have served God. I promise you they were people of prayer. And He hears the prayers of His people. Luke 18.7 And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? It's a common mark of Christianity that we pray because we need our Father so dearly. We love Him so much. We must commune with our God. If you are not a praying person, you should have very little assurance that your faith is real. But if you do pray, and you know that you don't really even feel inclined to pray often, except by the Holy Spirit, then you should be certain indeed. And I would also add, if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, you might be that Christian who just needs to start praying. 
No wonder Jesus says of false believers in his most famous sermon, I never knew you. Remember all these people said, but Lord, we did all these things for you. And he says, away from me. I never knew you. That's part of prayer, isn't it? When you want to get to know someone, you talk to them. I remember when I was pursuing my wife. Some of you men can relate to this. The only thing I wanted to do was spend time with her. I would leave work early. I would forego just about any pleasure if I could be with her and talk to her and get to know her. Why? I wanted a relationship with her. How many of us think of God that way? I'll do anything, Lord. I just want to talk to you. I want to get to know you more. But you see, those with a new heart have an intense desire to commune with God. They desire to pray. So if this is your desire, be encouraged. Be very encouraged. By the same token, those who feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, be encouraged. Prayer is one of the marks of a true Christian person. Third reason to pray. There's nothing in the Christian life that's more neglected in all of the things that He calls us in Scripture to do than prayer. Consider how much our Lord prayed while He was on earth. Considering the great assistance that God gave all of His saints through all history who prayed, is it any wonder that the world, the flesh, your own nature, the devil, would all conspire against you to keep you from praying? It reminded me of the Screw Tape Letters, the book by C.S. Lewis, where he uh, writes like he's a, a chief demon and he's instructing his little demon pupil on how to go after Christians. In one chapter, the old devil challenges the young Wormwood to pursue his patient, that's the Christian, who's been assigned to him, to avoid concrete things in prayer, concrete times in prayer, and instead get him to aim at something entirely spontaneous and inward and informal and unregularized. Get that person to try to promote some kind of emotion so that when he prays, if he doesn't feel the right feelings, he will be discouraged to pray in the future. There's wisdom in that tactic, isn't there? For many of us, when we pray, we don't feel right about it, so we think, well, that probably didn't work. We try to manufacture feelings to go along with the prayers. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, that your prayers are a sweet incense to the Lord? Your worship is not all based on your feelings. So when you come to God in prayer, just pray. Your prayer is sweet to our God your reverence and your honesty and your heart to commune with God is the focus. So turn to Him, recognizing that Satan does not want you to pray. Your own flesh runs from prayer. Of course, the world 
needs our prayers. Pray. Fourthly, prayer has the most encouragement in the Christian life. Think about that. He says prayer has the most encouragement in the Christian life. Paul knows this. I'll try to show you later the various ways that Paul shows us that prayer has the most encouragement in the Christian life. But that thought struck me. Because you think of the things that you think are encouraging in your Christian life. I think reading my Bible is encouraging. I love to go to conferences and hear preaching. That for me is very encouraging. I love singing and hearing the voices of the saints. Praising God, that's very encouraging. Small group Bible study, very encouraging. Fellowship meals. Very few Christians would say, Oh, prayer, number one. Prayer is the most encouraging thing I can do in the Christian life. Of course, that shows our own sinful nature and it shows our low view of God when it comes down to how we spend our time. Our low view of who God actually is. But the truth is that it is the most encouraging we could ever, thing we could ever do. Why is that? You realize when you pray, you involve the entire Godhead in a way that they were not otherwise involved in the world. That might sound very bold to say as well, but listen to Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 34, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus. He's the one who died, more than that, who was raised and is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. If this is the case, if when you pray, the Holy Spirit also intercedes for you and the the Son of God intercedes for you, we should be praying all the time if that's true. Of course, you can make the case they're always interceding for us, and yes, we can see that as well. But also, Paul is talking about a specific time of prayer. Prayer is worship. Prayer is incense that comes up to the nostrils of God. There's a reason why it's difficult to pray. That's because you need it, and your flesh repels from it. Satan discourages you in it but it is the most encouraging thing that you can do as a Christian. Are you discouraged? Do you feel beat down right now? Pray. Are you distressed about something? Are some relationships just going crazy in your life and you you just feel so weighed by it? Has sickness or some tragedy come upon you or your family and it just is heavy on your soul? The most encouraging thing you can do for yourself is to do as the Word of God instructs you and pray. Come to Jesus. Come to Me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How do you come? You pray. Come to Him. Fifthly, prayer is the secret of sanctification and holiness. I talk to a lot of people throughout the week, and some people tell me, kind of a recurring theme. I'm really struggling just in my Christian walk. Like I feel dry. Crusty piece of toast. I feel like brittle. I feel like nothing is changing. Don't know what to do. The first thing I ask them is, 
Are you availing yourself of the ordinary means by which God has given us to encourage, to be encouraged in Christ? What are the ordinary means? Are you reading your Bible regularly? Are you immersing yourself in the Word of God? Usually the answer is no. Do you spend time in prayer, regular time in prayer, communing with your Redeemer? Usually the answer is no. Sometimes people are not even in regular worship with the people of God. These are the ways that God encourages our souls and sanctifies and lifts up our hearts. The preaching of God's Word being part of that. So certainly if you have no regular time in prayer and you're wondering, why am I not being more sanctified? Why am I still struggling so heavily with sin? Why am I not feeling any joy in the Holy Ghost in the Christian life? Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray. Go to your room. Close the door, the Lord said. Pray in private. Yes, pray corporately with your church family. So if you struggle with sin, if you're struggling with just the Christian life, if you're struggling with joy, and you recognize that you actually don't regularly pray to God, you know why. You know why it's struggle. You know why it's difficult. Without prayer, your sanctification is just stymied. Your growth in Christ is stymied. You're a Christian pygmy without prayer. So if you feel burned out or in a rut or that God is far from you, if life, the Christian life, is a struggle for you, in desperation, pray to God. Pray. Sixthly, the neglect of prayer is a great cause of backsliding. Just as it's the greatest of encouragements for the Christian life, if you are neglecting prayer, if you're neglecting the means of grace, there's no wonder that you're struggling with sin and maybe backsliding, falling away in some measure. I had to drive in Washington, D.C. for three years. It's a horrible place to drive. Generally a horrible place to do much of anything. But I always made sure I had my seatbelt on if I, I mean, I usually wear it anyway, but I definitely put the seatbelt on in D.C. I'm going to click it. It's not because I'm afraid of a ticket. It's because I'm afraid to die. I want the seatbelt on. When you don't pray every day, it's like you just throw the seatbelt off and you're driving through D.C. in a convertible with the top down. You're going to get hurt. You're asking for it. Your backsliding into sin is probably not far around the corner. In Matthew 26, Jesus said, Watch and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says one way you compensate for your weak flesh is you pray. And if you don't, you should not be surprised if God disciplines you, if you fall into some terrible sin the confession our Westminster confession chapter 17 speaks of this 
of this process, if you will. It says, Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world and the prevalence of the corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, prayer, the word, fellowship, the sacraments, and the neglect of their means of preservation, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit and come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts and have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt, and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. No wonder Paul says the first thing we need to do as a church is pray. We need to pray. We must pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. Colossians 4.2 Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I entreat each of you, if you are not praying regularly, start to pray. Pray. You should want to. He's your Savior. The danger is real. And seventhly, seventhly and finally, the last point he makes is that prayer is the best recipe for daily contentment. Indeed, I would say daily happiness. You may not have noticed some of these scriptures. Let me just run through them quickly. In Matthew 6, when Jesus talks about prayer, he says, When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What kind of reward do you think Jesus is talking about? He's going to throw some money at you? No, this is your soul. He's going to encourage you when you pray. And there's a connection in the New Testament, probably in the Old Testament too, I didn't look, between prayer and joy, prayer and contentment. Romans 12, 11, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. When you're constant in prayer, you are more patient in tribulation and you do rejoice in hope. Why? Because you're communing with your Lord. You're talking to your Savior. 2 Corinthians 1, you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on behalf for the blessing He has granted us through the prayers of many. Philippians 1, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Philippians 4, the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul saw this firsthand with the early church in Acts chapter 2. No wonder the people of the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and of course, prayer. And what happened? Awe fell upon all of them. A-W-E, awe. 
They were glad and sincere. They praised God. The favor of all the people was with them. So, prayer is a mark of the Christian. Prayer is a clear indication, or a lack of prayer is an indication that your faith may not be real. Prayer is often neglected by Christians. It's the most encouraging thing that you could ever do in the Christian life. It's the secret of holiness. The neglect of prayer invites black backsliding. But the daily use of prayer brings contentment in Christ. I'm sounding like one of the old Methodists. They believed that the Christian life was all about getting the right things in order. And then you would actually live for God well. I'm not that person. For me, it's all about my love for Christ. That's why I pray, because I love Him. That's why I entreat each one of you to pray. Yes, the Bible commands it. Yes, you should do it. But you have a Savior, a personal Savior, and you should pray. So, for application, I just want to address three groups of people. If you're one of these people who's already regularly praying, then you should praise God. It's not natural, it's not normal. You may feel discouraged by the feebleness of your prayer, by the weakness of your prayer. You may feel like David, that God might not be listening. Where are you, Lord? You may just be tired. But the distractedness that you feel and the fleshly desires that seem to frustrate your prayers should not discourage you from continuing in what you're doing. Remember that when you come to God... I want you to remember four things. When you come to God, you're actually doing something that He commands and He loves. It's for His glory and it's for your good that He commands you to pray. Secondly, remember that it is a product of your love for God. It's not anything automatic. You come to God because you love Him and you come to Him in prayer out of love for what He's done for you. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sakes died and was raised. That's why we come to God in prayer, and that's why we do anything at all for God. We come to Him in love. It's always been about love. It's always been about the heart. Remember the Old Testament saints were told to circumcise the foreskins of their hearts. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when you struggle as a Christian, when you struggle as a person who prays regularly, remember who you're praying to and the love you have for that person. Thirdly, remember that you're actually worshiping. Revelation 5, Revelation 8 say that our prayers rise as an incense before God. This is worship. It's a holy offering to a holy God. And the Holy Spirit knows, and He's compassionate. He knows that your prayers feel weak. He knows that your prayers are feeble. And yet He intercedes for you in His love for you. Read Romans 8 carefully as it concerns prayer. This will encourage you. I want to address a second group, and that's people in this room that think you are Christian And the Holy Spirit is stirring your soul. He's telling you, you need to do this. 
but you just haven't started yet. So for you Christians who know that the Holy Spirit is calling you to pray, first of all, be encouraged. The Lord disciplines those He loves. He corrects those whom He loves. Remember that it should be a regular part of your life. How many of you regularly eat three meals a day? Probably most of us. We schedule it, right? I got breakfast from 7 to 7.30. I got lunch from 12 to 1. I got supper from 5 to 6. It's a scheduled part of your day. And yet the manna from heaven is just out there. Yeah, I hope I see some. I'll pick it up. No, make it a regular part of your day. You have no problem finding time for food for your belly. Schedule your prayer time as if your life depended on it. The Jewish people had a morning and evening prayer. For thousands of years before Christ, Daniel prayed three times a day. He was the administrator over all of the land. Can you imagine the weight of the burden that he carried? He separated himself from all of it and prayed three times a day. Jesus, busier than any of us will ever be, with more responsibility than any of us could ever know, everyone wanted him. The only time he could pray, it seems, is early in the morning or late at night. He would just get up when it's dark. My point is, find a regular time during your day to pray and stick to it. Make it a priority, like your workout, like your television shows, like your sports shows, whatever, your meal times. Don't let anything change it. And pray. Also pray with your family. Also pray with your church, but pray privately to the Lord. Some people say, well, I don't know how to pray. I'm going to give you some, some objections here. People will say, well, I don't really know how to pray. Okay. Find some prayers in Scripture that are good, like the one we read this morning, Daniel chapter 9, and pray like that. Go through the Psalms and pray the Psalms. Obviously, pray the Lord's Prayer. Think about each phrase when you say it and pray like that's a, a, a wheel of a spoken. Just go out from there with each phrase as the Lord leads. If you don't know how to pray, it's kind of like saying, I don't know how to ride a bike. Just got to jump on and try. I don't know how to throw a baseball. Pick up a ball and start throwing it. And pray for God's help. This is one prayer God will always answer. God, please sanctify me. That's a prayer He's going to answer. God, help me to pray. That's a prayer He's going to answer. People say, well, I don't have time, Pastor. I don't have time to pray. Well, that we may be very busy, all of us. We talked about Jesus. He was very busy as well, wasn't He? He found time to pray. He made time to pray. And some of you are, I'm sure, very, very busy. But for most of us, it's just an excuse. What we really mean is, I'm not going to make time for that. What you really mean when you say that is probably, I don't think it's all that important to do. A lot of other things I'll do, I'll make time for, but not that. It's just... Don't you understand? I need my sleep. Or whatever. Find a time to do it. Find a time to pray. If you desire to pray regularly, don't be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Your Father is welcoming you. His arms are wide open. Yes, you might feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. Praise God. But He's not angry. 
His arms are open. He's wanting you to come. Come to Him in prayer. The old Chinese proverb, the journey of a thousand miles starts where? The very first step. You've got to start. As much effort as you put in other relationships, put that into your relationship with God in prayer and He will help you. He will. He loves you. If you're His, He loves you with a love beyond anything you can imagine. And He'll help you pray. But for those of you who do not pray, if you look back on your last week and you just realize, all week long, I never once had a desire to pray. I fear for your soul. Do you realize what that says? Something in my heart is not Christian. In other words, I don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not a son of God. If you have no desire to pray, then that's an indication of something entirely different. You need Jesus now. You need to place your trust in the One who came and died as a man. He says, come to Me, all you who are weak and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How do you come to Jesus? Well, you pray. But you need God to change your heart. Turn to Him. Ask Him for faith. Ask Him for repentance. Ask Him for a new heart. Tell Him you want to be a new creation. And He will make you able to embrace Jesus in faith and repentance. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for this time. This time to study Your Word. To consider the very important topic of prayer. Lord, You know how we desire to pray. We desire to commune with our Heavenly Father. We desire to come to You in the name of Your Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet it's just hard. We pray that You would encourage us in our prayer. That You would convict and change our lazy and apathetic attitudes toward prayer. That we would see it not just as an add-on to our life, but something that is the, the main part of our faith. Our time in the Word and our time in prayer. And for those here who know that they do not have that desire, Lord, save them. Open their eyes to truth. Turn their hearts from rebellion. And hear our prayer in the name of Jesus.